0: Hello and welcome to this download from Blackwell Online. My name is George Miller. I'm delighted to say that my guest today is one of Britain's most eminent writers, Kazuo Ishiguro. In a career that spans almost three decades, Ishiguro has won both the Whitbread and the Booker Prizes and appeared twice on the Grant of Best of Young Novelists list. He's written song lyrics and screenplays in addition to novels, but his many fans have had to wait until this month for him to publish his first collection of short stories. It's entitled Nocturnes, Five Stories of Music and Nightfall, and depicts the dreams and disillusionments of musicians young, old, and middle-aged. Why musicians, I asked him first.
1: For me, it's it's um, they're, they're everyman figures a lot of the time, particularly these musicians who haven't quite made it. I mean, a lot of the people in this book, they're, they're musicians who didn't quite fulfil their dreams. Or perhaps they're still young enough to think that their uh, their dreams will be fulfilled one day, but... The time is moving on. It's often people like that I've I've chosen, and I, I I'm I'm trying to to portray ordinary lives. You know, when do you let go of your dreams? When do you try and hold on to them? What do you sacrifice in your endeavor to fulfill these dreams? When are you just deluded, and when are you being courageous and authentic to yourself?
0: It it's certainly true that that um, that music is. De-romanticized in the stories, as um, you know, you're, it seemed to me you were not so interested in describing music as looking at how music is a profession, a vocation, or a, you know, at worst, just a just a job that people are drawn to or fall into.
1: That is true. Uh, well, at least that's 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 often how how music ends up for these people. It, they, it ends up as a as a job, but it's not just any job. In that, it's, it's a kind of well, you use the word vocation there i mean it's 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 something that people have have gone into because there is a there is a part of themselves that really believes in it you know that they they feel the music expresses something inside of them that cannot be expressed any other way that, that somehow they represent themselves in the world better if they can represent themselves through music and so I think it's very closely bound up with uh, people's identity, their, their vision of themselves, of who they are. And so when the world doesn't allow you to uh, to fulfill your career as a musician in quite the way you, you wish, uh, that that is a challenge to your very view of who you are or who you might be. So in, in that sense, looking at musicians it tends to be perhaps uh, sometimes it can be more fruitful than looking at people in other jobs. but. I think you can you can do this in you, know, you can look at people in in any kind of area of human endeavor and i think um you'll find you'll find something very fascinating about people trying to fulfill a certain thing you know um, I think I chose music for for because because um, looking at musicians gave me a a chance to to look at. How people struggle with personal dreams, but I think there were other reasons why I wanted the stories in Nocturnes to be bound by music. It wasn't simply music or musicians as metaphor in a sense I wanted and this this sounds slightly pretentious, but i you know i I wanted to to write stories that had something of the quality of of these bittersweet jazz songs and that that really was a starting point wouldn't it be nice to um, write a song that perhaps not only maybe had something of the plot line that, you know, of some of these um, old Broadway songs, like one for my baby, one for the road, you know, but actually had some of those qualities, so the, the atmospheres, the bittersweet melancholy, the, but th- that also that kind of rather enduring stoicism that you find in those kind of, you know, the soc- the great American songbook songs.
0: You knew from the start, presumably, that you wanted this to be quite a tightly woven collection of stories there are five pieces in it and you've got recurring themes as you've said and even recurring uh, a recurring character so you knew it wasn't just going to be an accumulation of of pieces which were loosely based around music from the start
1: well to put it very simply I mean I, I sat down and wrote the five stories one after the other uh, in fact in, in a way I, I, was, I wrote them simultaneously you know I have a I have a big folder at home where the notes there are notes for each story, and so the the stories are being kind of developed together. And then of course, when I physically kind of wrote the drafts, I had to do them in some order, but uh, it was very much conceived um, like, um, like like a book, you know, like a single book. And the odd thing for me was that it wasn't so different from writing a novel. What you might call proper short story writers might might you know raise an eyebrow at this because in, in a way I am I am a novelist m- moonlighting in a, in a different uh, form but I've gone about this rather in the way the novelist would I've thought of it as a whole book and actually I'm used to the idea that there are two or three different narrative strands in a novel typically with a kind of a 250 300 page novel there's usually you know, a two and a half <laughs> kind of narrative strands that that intertwine and one of the challenges is to is to make these different narrative strands intertwine in a meaningful way, that they're not just sitting there side by side and, and jarring. Um, there has to be an artistic reason why they're there. You know, it, it should be more than a sum of their parts. And so that's a challenge that that was oddly familiar from from writing novels. You know, I think that when you start to look at it, the the, the border between novels and, and a book of short stories, if if the short stories are conceived to go together. I I think it's a a much more blurred one than than you would think. And this is one of the things I I discovered as I was working on these. that I used to think the short story is a completely different form. Uh, Now I'm not so sure.
0: Let me ask you about writing comedy, because one story, although come rain or come shine, although it deals with disillusionment, and what happens you know and, and and the possibility of relationships breaking down there are also quite farcical elements in that story how how did you sort of approach that because i was
1: writing a book that had five discrete stories it was very clear to me that you know that you could switch the mood quite quite drastically and in a sense you wanted um, a kind of variegate, uh, variegation of moods you know you, you didn't want every story to to hit the same note and so in a way you're pushed to to write stories that contrast to some extent so you know I, I started with a rather melancholy story and then I want, wanted a funny story and I felt very much that at, at least you know two of the stories should be humorous it's it's, it's a bit like uh, well, I, I know these analogies are terribly tiresome and pretentious, but it's, it's a bit like doing an album. You know, uh, I'm a, I'm of the pre-downloading generation that thought of music very very much in terms of albums, and and of course, you know, you, you you mix the up-tempo number with the with the ballad and so on, and the the catchy number with the long kind of more challenging track, and and so on. So uh, my instinct was to was to mix the the the, the moods of the story. So I. I I did set out to write a couple of comic stories, and that one you mentioned, "Come Rain or Come Shine," was very much conceived of from the start as as the as the funny story, if you like. But um, I I like um, personally I like I like kind of funny and sad at the same time. Often, often in like straightforward stage farce, there is, of course, you know, desperate tragedy. The best ones do have a sense of of desperate tragedy, kind of wedding up behind the kind of the uh, the humor but also people like Woody Allen at his best in the 70s and 80s i think managed to combine that hu- that humor and pathos um chaplin did as well um and I, I i do like that when you're not quite sure whether you should be laughing or crying maybe you should be doing both at the same time so i was trying to go for that and how i went about it well i mean it's you know it's it's in a way i mean the comedy is comedy you know it's very hard to put apart how you <laughs> how you do comedy i do think comedy is um is risky because i think um more than anything else i've discovered that people's tastes differ enormously and it's not just cultural either you know in the same milieu in the same same community um you know some people just don't find some things funny and other people find them hilarious and uh, i've tried to write comedy before and um Sometimes people haven't noticed. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, the other the other moment of humor that sticks in my mind from, from Nocturnes, which I suppose also has its pathos, but it is, is richly absurd, is uh, in Nocturne, the story where an aging celebrity and a tenor sax player who is having, pl- both of whom have had plastic surgery, are roaming around a hotel at night with bandaged faces and they end up stuffing. A jazz award inside the cavity of a turkey in the hotel, a, a hotel function room, <laughs> and I wondered. You, you may say again, I'm being sort of over metaphorical, but if this was you saying something about you know celebrity culture and award ceremonies, is that, is that, is that also reading <laughs> too much into it?
1: Well, I wasn't. I, wa- I wouldn't want to overemphasize the symbolism there. I mean, the the, the, the situation just develops where that becomes a, a logical and normal. Uh, a fairly rational kind of thing to be doing at that point in the story. I suppose part of the thing of comedy is that uh, you, you take the reader step by step and each step seems perfectly rational and sensible. It's only when after the accumulation of steps uh, have taken place and, and you suddenly get a perspective on it that, that you realise you've ended up somewhere ridiculous. And that, that's, I suppose, a comedy in, in nocturnes often goes like that. And you're right, I mean, I, I was concerned about celebrity culture. I, I wasn't wanting to make any huge definitive statements about it, but this this need to, to be a celebrity or perhaps you know, to be seen to be succeeding in some kind of big public world is a pressure all these characters feel to some extent, even the ones who aren't musicians. And it's just there. And a lot of the more drastic decisions people make, um, they make because they're under that pressure. They make very distorted decisions um but that did fascinate me because it said something about once again about how people think of themselves as failures or successes and how when people tell themselves that they fulfilled some dream and they should be satisfied and, and when they say to themselves well no it's not enough yet you know i have to keep on going there's something about the um about the modern world that we live in and I think we're still living it now Um, that makes it very hard for people to settle for for what they have Um, we're bombarded with um, possibilities all the time Um, that's partly because of of good things you know I think society has opened out both geographically and, and in terms of social mobility compared to say 100 years ago but it does mean that we're everyone is kept hungry. You know, why? Why haven't you? Why don't you take a course, and improve yourself, and um, and become something else altogether? You know, why don't you just leave this person you you've been married to, and and trade up? And I mean that that feeling that you know you shouldn't be satisfied with where you are. It's, it's this kind of nagging feeling that uh, I see a lot of people succumbing to.
0: And the sense that it's within your power to change it, and in, in a way it's sort of incumbent upon you to change it, like the, the the jazz musician who is 39 is still potentially up and coming, but this is really his last chance, and he does it by this sort of grotesque method of, of plastic surgery in order to break through.
1: Yes, yeah, so well, in, in that particular case, he, he's pushed into it. I mean, he doesn't want to do this, you know, but the... the the pressures of of the world all around him. His his wife who's leaving him. His manager. Everyone says, "Look, I mean, you know, it's almost like a, a, mo- a moral imperative. You're not really making enough of yourself unless you give it a proper go, and that means, you know, get your face better because you're not going to be a success in this in this glamorous world in the show business, you know, unless you, you're less ugly." And so he finally gives in and. And that's what he's doing. Yeah. And at another, in another story, that there's a, a once successful singer who, because he's getting old, I mean, he, he feels he needs to make a comeback, and he needs to, to some extent, ditch his ditch the wife he still loves, because he has to. He has to. Along with the comeback goes a whole whole lot of new things, yeah. mm-hmm. a new image, a younger wife, and so on. It's not a book that's kind of necessarily going out and out to criticise the values by which we live. But the, I mean, the, the, but those values are very much there in that world, and and people, people have to to measure their sense of success and failure according to those prevalent values.